travel, it's one of life's greatest pleasures. When we journey abroad, we discover new places and meet fascinating people, but we also gain perspective and take on a wider view of the world around us. That was Trevor Ranges, and I'm Scott Coates. After more than 25 years living and working in Asia, we've developed an amazing network of interesting characters throughout the region. Talk Travel Asia is our way of sharing them with you. Plug in and get connected to hot tips, interesting perspectives, and expert travel advice as we cultivate travel insight through intelligent conversation. Welcome to Episode 77, Over Tourism with Chris Bottrill. For many people, travel is something they look forward to all year. It occupies daydreams, shapes savings plans, and hopefully exceeds expectations when in destination. But with a globally growing middle class, visa requirements easing up, and the cost of air travel dropping, more people than ever are hitting the road. And often, too many of us at the same time in the same place. This can not only lead to trips sometimes not living up to expectations, but the destinations themselves and people that live there becoming forever changed, often not for the better. On this episode, we'll explore the issue of over-tourism and talk with an expert about the future of travel. This is Scott Coates in Bangkok, Thailand, and joining me as always is... Trevor Ranges, but not as always in Honolulu, Hawaii. Occasionally I'm here, occasionally you're here, occasionally both of us are somewhere, but uh, yeah. I'm in Hawaii and you're in Bangkok, and uh, we're going to be talking about... Something that maybe is an issue in, in both places, certainly in Asia. Um, you know, we both lived in Southeast Asia for many, many years, and we've seen the number of tourists um, increase in, in all of the countries in the region, and uh, it's certainly more so in some than others. But uh, this issue of over-tourism, I don't think, really was a problem 15 or 20 years ago. Uh, it certainly is today. Yeah, I, this came about, you and I, I believe, are having a, a cold beer and just talking a bit about numbers and we've been to uh, the Angkor temples outside of Siem Reap, Cambodia. Decade plus we've seen the numbers grow and a year and a bit ago when I went to Kyoto it, it was my second time separated by about eight years and this kind of old traditional lane that eight years ago we rode bicycles up the last time I went was literally like walking shoulder to shoulder through a nightclub. It was incredible the number of tourists and then you know things like the Grand Palace. I mean we just realized that wow, there are places now with so many travelers that they're kind of losing what makes them special. And is it going to be continue to be feasible or will you even want to go there in another five years? Yeah, you know, it's unbelievable because even like like years and years ago before the, the tsunami in, in the South Pacific, uh, the tsunami in the Indian Ocean, sorry, that was like 2006, right? That was more than a decade ago. And even back then, like... Oh, wow. Like, like islands like PP Island in Thailand, which is a, a huge tourist destination, even then that was so overcrowded, you know. And then as tourism developed, you start to see people like avoiding those places to go to other areas, you know. So I saw some photos recently on uh, Richard Barrow's Facebook page of the Similan Islands. Similan Islands are a oh, national yeah. park. And, you know, like back in 2004, very few people went to Similan Islands. You know, Thai people went. But now, like, it's crazy. Like, even places that weren't very visited at all a decade ago are now too crowded. Yeah, it's it, it's getting there. And at the beginning of uh, 2018, our first episode, I mentioned that I wanted to learn about this subject. So we're sort of starting. I saw there's a book called Overbooked, The Exploding Business of Travel and Tourism uh, by somebody named Elizabeth Becker. I'd like to read that. But, you know, it's it, it's growing. Countries want revenue. People want revenue. But the numbers are, are becoming 
huge. And sometimes then it becomes too expensive for locals to keep living there, harder to get around, increased pollution. Traditional cultures, I mean, are impacted. Yeah, it's 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 really something we should all think about and quickly. It's tricky though, you know, like you were just saying, like, you know, I first went to Myanmar in like 2002. I first went to Siem Reap, Cambodia, and Core Temples in 2002. And like back then, like there was almost no people in, in Myanmar that we saw when we went to Bagan, we didn't see anyone. Um, at the same time, they, they were very poor and, and they've certainly benefited greatly from tourism revenue. You know, Siem Reap, it's grown exponentially and it's created lots of jobs. So like for us to say, you know, oh, it's not as good anymore because there's too many people at the temples, to some degree that's it's good for the local economy, but then if it gets too much, you know, it depletes the natural resources, it damages the temples, it, it ruins the, the thing that's attracting people in the first place, and then maybe it's not sustainable, and then they, they, they suffer in the end because of that. So um, it's cool yeah. to have an expert on today to maybe discuss the, the reality of some of these factors. Yeah, well, let's bring him in. Our guest is Dr. Chris Bottrell, PATA Vice Chairman and Dean at the Faculty of Global and Community Studies, School of Tourism Management, Capilano University in Vancouver, Canada. He's originally from New Zealand, an active outdoorsman, and he joins us by Skype from North Vancouver. Thanks for joining us, Chris. Thank you. Well, I know um, you seem to be teaching about tourism more, but what sort of tourism-related work have you done here in Asia? Because for a person posted in Vancouver to see that you're also part of PADA, which is based uh, centrally here in Bangkok, I'm kind of wondering, what is your tourism-related history here in Asia? Sure. So as you uh, kindly mentioned, I'm the vice chair of PADA. So through PADA, I had quite a lot of association in, in Asia. Um, uh, one example, we have uh, designed and facilitated several youth symposiums in Cambodia, China, India, Macau, Guam, Sri Lanka, amongst other places. Um, uh, I've uh, participated in many uh, conferences, events, um, and spoken at those uh, in Cambodia, Palau, Da Nang, various other locations. But um, one of the things that I think may be of interest is um, I've had the the privilege of leading a community-based tourism uh, project in uh, northern Vietnam for the last eight years and that's been working with ethnic hill tribe villages uh, in the communities of Ta Fin, uh, Tavan and Lao Cai uh, uh, right up north uh, near in the Sapa region of Vietnam. Well wow, that sounds like an entirely another episode we're going to have to connect with you about Chris. <laughs> Yeah, and that seems quite different from uh, the topic we're discussing today. So how did you transition from, you know, having an interest or a background in work in tourism to, to our topic today, which is over-tourism? How did that come about? Well, in fact, it is all connected. Um, I, I guess, personally, I've just had a strong interest in sustainable tourism for many years. Uh, I happened to do a, a thesis, a master's thesis on, on ecotourism back in 1991 um, and that led me off on a career path where I worked on many different projects uh, related to sustainability. Um, I've worked with many communities uh, had in um, uh, Canada, uh, in, uh, in Asia. Uh, I've uh, worked with uh, several indigenous groups over the years. Um, and so all these things are interconnected in different ways. Uh, 
uh, through my through the course of my career, I've been fortunate to work with many different associations and operators around the planet, and uh, especially through PARTA and the uh, the extensive connections we have in that organisation to uh, uh, governments, airlines, hotels, tour companies. Uh, particularly here in the Asia Pacific, but actually right around the globe. So, my interest in over tourism really has stemmed from uh, that background to working uh, with many operators at many different levels and the pressures that uh, mount on different destinations um, through a range of different factors. Not just the uh, number of tourists but also the management of tourism in those areas. Well, we're delighted to have hooked up with you so quickly for us because our first episode this year, uh, episode 73, we had 2018 New Year's travel resolutions. And I said at that time, one of the things I wanted to learn a bit about this year was over tourism. And we looked around the internet a bit and we, we came upon you. So really happy to learn a bit more from it. And we've looked at one of your PowerPoint presentations. I'm wondering, can you tell us a little bit about how have tourism numbers actually grown in Asia, let's say in the last decade? Well, of course, the numbers in, of growth in, uh, the growth in Asia has been remarkable and it's uh, not going to slow down anytime soon. Um, Oxford Economics, for example, has done a, uh, a survey on uh, on growth and uh, of regions around the planet and uh, one of the things that they have identified is that there's an anticipated growth of 15% uh, or a little more than that actually in Asia over the next uh, 10 years. That compares with um, uh, global growth uh, rates of growth around the 5% mark commonly for other areas. So for the most part there's anticipated up to triple times the growth in Asia uh, compared to other parts of the world. As for specific numbers, of course that varies for different uh, countries and uh, there's a lot of different sources to get that specific data on. Wow, so looking at in the next decade, the number of travelers within Asia tripling in size. Well, right? the growth rate is, tr the point there is that the growth rate is, is triple than the growth rate of uh, global averages approximately triple. Oh, okay. Okay. Wow. Well, you know, something interesting that I read recently, because obviously the Chinese travelers are a huge part of this growth, um, but the fact that they actually spend twice as much per person traveling as, as Americans do. So I was just recently in Cambodia where, you know, the, the influx of tourism is, has brought so much revenue over the past several decades. Um, that in many ways, obviously, tourism is good for local economies because it creates jobs and, and construction, like they're going to build a new airport in Phnom Penh, they build new hotels, they create jobs. Um, but what are some of the, the downsides to, or the problems of this type of too much tourism? Well, I think this is where we can really start to get into what is over-tourism and as distinct from what is just a lot of tourism. We obviously... We all know the growth uh, projections in tourism globally, and we just uh, just mentioned them for Asia. Um, the The challenge is when tourism is not managed well, and when all the stakeholders that need to play a part in tourism are not participating. 
and that's really where we're starting to see uh, these strains on local communities and this is where we're starting to see this notion of overtourism emerge. Overtourism should not be a word, in my view, that is just used liberally to explain or to describe what some people perceive as too many tourists. It's more about when the thresholds of uh, a community uh, are reached through too many through a lot of tourism. And by that I mean the quality of life in those uh, communities uh, it starts to become impaired. And that's not the interesting factor here is that over tourism when you look at media uh, reports where we're hearing most cases of over tourism is in the more developed economies. Um, in the lesser developed economies we're not hearing the term over tourism quite as much so there's a connection here if you think about it and that is that um, uh, tourism is good for so many reasons in so many communities it uh, uh, but the one that we can focus on is 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 a uh, economic uh, impact and growth so in lesser developed economies the desire for um, economic growth is stronger perhaps there that is telling us something that uh, that the over tourism is where you have reached a point in your economy where you don't actually need that that economic growth, growth. to the same okay. extent. The same. Yeah. I see. I, I get it. That's a good explanation. So thinking about Asia, where we generally talk about for our podcast, what are some of the areas experiencing these drawbacks of over-tourism now? Okay, that's a good question. I, I, I had a feeling you might ask me, and I'm a bit hesitant to be totally honest with you. I don't want to say that. Yeah, no, we don't want to. We don't want to yeah. talk badly about any areas. But what you actually just said was interesting because if they're developing countries and they want or need more revenue, then it's not an over tourism problem. But at the same time, like you know, if if the number of visitors, let's say to Luang Prabang, increased tenfold, that that would be a problem. I, I would think uh, just a strain on the the natural resources or simply just like ruining the experience of, of what is like a world heritage yeah town, that's correct right? so yeah. what are the variables at play in that situation is kind of what how you've got to think about it so the ones that you just mentioned uh, were world heritage sites strain on on uh, natural and and cultural assets those are sometimes the implications of of, t of a lot of tourists in a concentrated area. Um, but they, if you manage those well, and you can accommodate a lot of tourists in a certain place if the management is done well. And in, in, so in some of these cases where there are limited management controls, then there's just a large influx of tourists without the control, which means that the implications or the the impacts are, are felt more strongly. Um, you, you're getting the mass area is being impacted rather than maybe controlled areas where flow of tour, flows of tourism are managed more effectively. A good example is national parks, and and I know I know we're talking about Asia, but if you think about national parks in a North American context, um, the there are mass numbers going into national parks. But if you manage that 
flow accordingly, then the relative impact is is minimized. Yeah, it does. You know, I, I think of like Trevor's example of Luang Prabang was a good one. Or, or let's think about uh, somewhere we have a lot of experience, Siem Reap, Cambodia, and the temples of Angkor. Like, I hear what you're saying, but how when, when they start to get a number of travelers there that all want to see the temple at sunrise and so forth, and they have over 3 million tourists a year, is there... Do areas have points with which by the area itself is spoiled and changed just by the sheer volume? Like even if you put a North American management style on those parks of Angkor, could they, is there a point where it's just too many people? Of course, there is a point where, where, where we start to damage the natural, the cultural resource by too many people. The point is that it's figuring out how to uh, minimize the, the impact. And, you know, some approaches, if you think about methodologies, are just numbers. You put a carrying capacity on an area and you say, when we've got to that many, it's too many. But uh, there are other methods that you can manage this where you look at, for example, um, uh, limits of acceptable change, which is a, another methodology which has been used where you know there's going to be change. Well, what's the limit of that change and what is that change in a certain, in a certain space? Is it on the cultural environment is on a natural environment and and what's acceptable what is not acceptable so you know that's a different way of looking at it. it's not a specific number it's about the actual resource and figuring out of that resource what is the point or the threshold in which that starts to become damaged i think the key to over tourism if we look carefully at at that as a as a as a term i think the key to that is the threshold on human experience um, and that's why we're seeing the uh, pushback on uh, in Europe on uh, in using the term over tourism in particular and we're seeing in places like Venice where the number of tourists way exceeds the locals yet the locals exist uh, still live in these places and so that that life experience has become impaired by a lot of tourists similarly in Barcelona um, and these are the obvious the two two highlight points where where um, uh, you've just got masses of people uh, in, in uh, at visiting into Barcelona, but you've also got residents in Barcelona, and they have an expected quality of life, and that's starting to become impaired by the uh, the number of tourists. So it's that human threshold which is really critical to this notion of over tourism. Of course, it can be applied to a threshold on the resources as well, the cultural resources, the, uh, the, um, the physical resources of the area. But I, I think that what's really triggering this term at the moment, at least from my perspective, from what I've read about it and what, I, what I've seen about it, it's that human threshold. If I could just use one more example, I was in the Grand Palace recently in, um, uh, in uh, Bangkok and I had the good fortune to travel there as a backpacker hmm, a long time ago, <laughs> about 25 years ago now. Thank you. And, um, you know, it, it's just changed so much. And when you look around, you don't see um, faces expressing awe or expressing um, happiness. You just see a lot of faces feeling looking almost stressed because of the sheer volume of people.
it's an incredible place and people want to see it and we can't say no to that but it's and you know that's just a privileged position you, that's not what we're trying to do here but we're trying to figure out where's the threshold and how do you once you've exceeded that what do you do about it yeah and it's not just at the grand palace like i've lived in bangkok for many years and uh, in recent years just getting on the sky train to go to work sometimes it's full of, of tourists you know like it's hard to get on the train to commute so like you were saying with uh, tourism actually impairing the lives of the people who live in, in a certain area that's uh it's certainly an, a different problem for, for cities that experience tourism than, let's say, like PP Island, which is, you know, this idyllic destination that you see in the guidebooks of like this postcard perfect beach. But in reality, you know, you might see the beach, but there's so many people on it that like you wouldn't get the same experience that that was promised once. Yeah, there's no question. You reach a point where there's where uh, you can identify places that have mass tourism and you can say, that's a lot of tourists but you can also say well how's it being managed and what's the threshold and what's the implication and it's that that we have to really get to grips with yeah what a challenge that the area growing the fastest for tourism is also in countries that tend to be developing and don't necessarily have some of the resources that uh, the western world has um i'm wondering chris have you seen or heard of any backlash against particular nationalities or anything in Asia due to increasing numbers? Have there been any cases, like you mentioned Barcelona, and I looked at your PowerPoint from a presentation you did and you focused on Europe, but here in Asia, any tales of particularly any particular nationalities being singled out or abused or whatnot for coming? Uh, well, like being reluctant <laughs> to mention about about particular locations because I don't, you know, no I know problem, every, no every area has its uh, has its great desires to do well and to attract uh, visitors and so on. Um, but equally, um, we all know that there are very large uh, uh, numbers of, t of travelers, and especially that that's emerging from China, obviously, with uh, the largest. Uh, um, uh, population base in, in the region but that that's those same patterns will happen as we see uh, increased travel from places like India and if you look at the demographic profiles of those countries the the uh, the patterns from India are, are going to have a longer term um, impact than uh, perhaps than China will just simply by virtue of the propensity to travel um, for individuals as they uh, increase their uh, disposable incomes but the again it's this really boils down to the fact that over tourism is a challenge that involves many people and many groups and it's um, uh, and it's it's this management of of over tourism which has to be handled well so yes we will see and do see large numbers of of uh, of travelers from certain area certain um, uh, points of origin and traveling in groups which creates the profile of being um, of being uh, I guess impactful simply by virtue of the numbers but equally if those are managed well then that's okay and that impact can be lesser so if it's well managed, um, doesn't matter. The numbers aren't as important as, as the behaviors. Speaking of behaviors, uh, in your Pata presentation, you mentioned something called the bucket list phenomena. 
um, affecting many countries around the globe. And, and so maybe some advice for some of our listeners, because uh, a lot of people, they want to go to a certain destination. They're going to go to Bangkok. Oh, we have to go to the Grand Palace. The guidebooks are always telling people, oh, these are the places you have to go to. But the reality is that's where everybody thinks they have to go. And, and that's kind of ruining the experience because these places do have too many travelers. So like, how can a traveler going to a new destination kind of avoid this phenomena and still try and have an experience that, you know, is it, well, something that they might expect? Well, uh, I'm glad you raised that. Um, it actually was a, a notion that was put forward by our CEO from Pata, Mario Hardy. And um, Mario referred to this bucket list idea a while back um, that simply people have this long, long list of, of places that they must visit. And those would include places like the Grand Palace, Siem Reap, Angkor Wat, uh, um, uh, the Forbidden City in Beijing, um, the Great Wall. Uh, uh, there's a uh, just so many different po uh, possibilities throughout Asia that that uh, that people feel they want to see, and this too typically uh, constitutes travel itineraries um, as different uh, tour companies put uh, put these together, and this is where we see the mass market or the mass mass tourism effect of of uh, people in groups going to these places as well, Machu Picchu, and so on. So it goes on and on and on. But what uh, what uh, Mario was uh, trying to uh, was pointing out, and what we've been actually working on a fair bit at Parta is the notion of uh, tourist dispersal, and this is simply uh, trying to encourage that people travel to more remote places that the that sense of discovery uh, can be achieved still, and uh, an authentic tourist experience results. And that's uh, that's just uh, uh, I think if people redesign their bucket lists around that notion, around authenticity, rather than just uh, a name based on reputation, then that might affect uh, quite positively how we can disperse tourists to different areas. We can uh, help accommodate accomplish more benefits for different uh, communities and individuals and uh, we can have a very positive tourist uh, uh, guest or should I say guest and host uh, interaction in a range of different places around the planet and that ultimately is the the real benefit of tourism. Fascinating subject Chris and, and a, a big one we could probably do multi parts on this just maybe a final question before we let you go are there any destinations in Asia that you think say 10 years from now, are not going to be what they were. Like they'll be destroyed or they'll just simply not be what everybody imagined because of the sheer numbers. Are there places Well, there are a danger? lot of places in danger. And that's why I, uh, my message, if, if anything, is just simply to try and understand when these thresholds have been reached and understand what they should be and how to avoid that. Um, we have been working in northern Vietnam for, as I say, over 12 years and we've had the great privilege to work with um, these ethnic hill tribe communities that live a life that has existed for hundreds of years and has been 
barely changed for hundreds of years. But right beside those communities um, are some destination areas that uh, are being built up with extensive hotels um, and access routes into those are being improved um, and this is really changing the whole nature of the area and and it's it's a challenge it, it reaches a point where the experience is not as positive as it could be and should be um, so there are many places in Asia that are like that are that ha are running that risk um, and it's just simply by the f due to the fact that tourism is a great way to uh, build an economy um, and it's a great way to to share uh, uh, cultures knowledge and cultures and all those sorts of things but uh, we can just overlove some places <laughs> and that's really what's happening and the local authorities and the governments uh, of those destinations need to work together with the tourism uh, stakeholders the, the, the tour companies and so on to understand what when that experience starts to uh, reverse from its original positive uh, you know Positive elements. positive elements yeah easier said than done perhaps oh, uh, but i'm 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 uh, on the line here from hawaii today and hawaii's done a pretty good job of managing uh, a lot of tourists so it can be done and hopefully uh, some of these areas that we love uh, like the way you're doing with the hill tribes in sapa because sapa is a really popular place now as well right so so ho hopefully there's uh, some some way that these destinations can be saved so that future generations can enjoy them the way we have. Yeah, thanks so much, Chris. It's really fascinating, and uh, we're just starting to scratch the surface, but thank you so much for making time to share with us today. Uh, you're most welcome. I appreciate you asking. Okay, great. Thanks, Chris. So, Scott, one of the really interesting things he brought up there was uh, the definition of over-tourism. You know, I, I just thought over-tourism was like too many people ruining the experience for the traveler, but, but it seems that, like, you know, if it's still economically benefiting and developing a destination, then it's not seen as an over-tourism problem because it's still creating some sort of financial benefit or revenue or, or, or it's still desired by that location. Yeah, I think it puts the issue on kind of the right side in that to me, there's two sides. There's one as a traveler, you go and then you're like, oh, there's too many other people. Your experience is impacted because of all the other travelers. The flip side of that is, yeah, when is too much, too much for the locals, right? So I think about, you know, we keep saying at Siem Reap, Cambodia, but I've heard that the sewage and water systems there are stretched, right? So when it gets to the point that, you know, water and sewage can't keep up and that people don't need the money anymore, that's a different argument from the tourist saying, oh, this place is no good anymore because there's too many people. So it's sort of two sides of the coin. And I like the side that he portrayed, right? Yeah, and, and it's true because it is like a management issue, and not to like rip on Angkor or anything, but they've been they've been managing it. You're not allowed to go to certain temples for sunrise anymore or for sunset anymore. Um, they they made walkways. They forced people to go in a certain direction to go through the temples. Maybe they will develop the infrastructure to support the increasing numbers of tourists. Um, you know, the, like it, it it isn't necessarily bad from the local destination 
standpoint so much as like it's like oh it sucks because there's too many people there that seems to be a different issue right yeah yeah and you know it's it's easy for us to say because we've been lucky enough to come from a part of the world where economically we were able to travel a lot sooner than other people right and i know that it's really easy to look and say oh that and like insert ethnicity here they're overrunning the place but it's like everybody has the same right to travel and it's just now there's certain nationalities are able to travel a lot more. So I'm always conscious of trying not to like, it's very easy to say, oh man, things are getting ruined because of all those people from here or there. But we all have that right to travel. And and, and I don't think there's an easy solution. And, and as Chris said, it's only going to get busier. So I think there's some supreme challenges ahead uh, for local governments and uh, organizations and stuff. I'm, I'm curious to see what happens. And also for our listeners, I think, who are probably a little bit more savvy than others, uh, you know, avoid what I call lonely planetivity, which is this the, the, that gravitational force <laughs> yeah. that sucks people to where the guidebooks tell you to go. Um, you know, like, if you really want to appreciate a destination, um, go off the beaten path a little bit, you know, uh, try to avoid the the hordes, um, you know, like, let's say, not to use the Angkor example that often, but there's lesser temples that if you went there and you had them to yourself, you would gain a, a greater appreciation for the spirituality of that temple than if you're at Angkor Wat with 10,000, 20,000 other people. Yeah, that's a great point. I remember once you told me, hey, go check out Tane. And Tane is a tiny little temple in the north end of the park. And yeah, you go there and it's often just you. And I mean, that's an equally, if not more magical experience. There was 50 right? people so. there last time I went. So one of the things that's happening is uh, the lesser known places are now becoming uh, popular as well. So, uh, you know, if you got a bucket list, uh, get there while you can, I guess is the advice. And, and then, uh, you know, try to go off peak times. You know, like uh, I like traveling during the monsoon season here in Asia when it's rainy and people don't want to go because there's too much rain. But it's actually much more beautiful. I like the rainy season. Go off peak, go off time, avoid the, the people at any cost uh, I think is the best way to travel yeah huge issue glad we've started to touch on it and uh, I think that's it for this episode we'll be back in another two weeks with another episode of Talk Travel Asia thanks for joining us on Talk Travel Asia we look forward to sharing with you again soon hey Scott do you remember the time we walked on top of the wall at Angkor Thom and Cam-